Hi friends, and welcome to Robcast 31, Be Where You Are. But before we jump into being where you are, I want to talk about water, water, water. My birthday is coming up. I'm going to be 45 on August 23rd, and I am doing everything I can to raise as much money as possible through my birthday campaign to get people clean drinking water who need it. A couple weeks ago on the Robcast, I interviewed Scott Harrison from Charity Water, and he talked about... Um, well, it was amazing, wasn't it? I couldn't believe some of the stories he was telling. He told about how they have a 100% model, which means every single last penny that you give to my birthday campaign goes to actually, goes right to getting people the water. And uh, already, you Robcast listeners, you've given absurd amounts of money. We're already going to get multiple villages clean water. And so I'm already a thousand thanks for your generosity. I'm already blown away. But it's funny about this thing. I'm not really competitive. Like if you and I play ping pong or putt-putt golf or something, I'll let you crush me, partly because you probably just can effortlessly crush me, but also because I just don't care. I'm not that competitive. But somehow this whole this whole birthday water thing and the idea that we could like really get a lot of people water, it somehow has like ignited something within me. So if you've been listening to this podcast now for the past, whatever, eight months, um, I'm asking you to give money to my birthday campaign. I've been giving you something, so now I'm asking you to give me something, which is actually going to go to somebody else. But um, I want to see how far we could take this. Like what happens if a large number of people all pitch in? What if every person who listens to the podcast gave 10 bucks, 10 bucks alone, four and a half dollars? We could like... It's just staggering what's possible. So um, thank you again for all of you who have given. And if you'd like to give, it would mean the world to me at my.charitywater.org backslash Rob Bell. But today, in this Robcast 31, I want to talk about being where you are. And here's why. Because I've been traveling now. I've been on the road for about five weeks going from place to place in a new city every day and meeting people from those places after each of the everything is spiritual. Sort of after the show, I do a meet and greet and I say to everybody, I would love to meet everybody who came and thank thank you for coming. And so I get to meet every night literally hundreds and hundreds of people. And what happens when you're in a new city every day is you, you pick up a sense of place, even if you're only there you know, for a day. But what's more important is I pick up from people how they feel about their place. And what's interesting, if you meet this many people in this short a time span, is some people love where they're from and some people don't. Some people are proud of where they're from and they're like, oh, you should eat here. You should go to this place. You should float down that river. You should climb that mountain. You should go see that gallery. You should go eat at that restaurant. And other people are like, what are you doing here? Like, no one ever comes here. Sometimes it's with, it's with great gratitude, like no one ever comes here. You came here. And sometimes it's like, why would anybody ever come to our town? I literally was in one city, which shall remain nameless, and said to a guy, like, tell me about this town. I've never been here before. What's it like? And he's like, no one likes it here. No one is here because they want to be here. And if you're sort of cringing from sort of the negative energy that that must have felt like, it did. It really did. It's astounding how much energy is contained in how we relate to where we are. There is great power in a place, and there is great power in being where you are. Not being where you are like just being, but, but being where 
you are. So let's go way, way back. I want to read a passage from Scripture, and then I want to explore a bit about the culture of that time and why this passage to me is so interesting. And then, and then I want to walk you through what I think are some of the really interesting questions it raises about life in the modern world. Way back early in the scriptures, Genesis 12, there's a man named Abram. Later, he gets his name changed to Abraham. Right now, it's Abram. And Abram is told by his God, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, Abram, and go to the land I will show you. And then Abram's told, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing to all people. Be blessed through you. And it goes on. But, but the key idea here, the one I really want to focus in on is, Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now, here's why this is so interesting to me. At that time in that part of the world, that moment in history, people had what's called a cyclical view of history. Your father and mother had lived in this place. You are now living in this place. Your father's mother's and father and your mother's mother and father, they had all lived in this place. You were having kids. Those kids lived in this place. You would die. They would have kids that would stay in this place. Most people hadn't been that far from home. And then think about this. They did not have hospitals and nursing homes. So your siblings, probably your mom went to the back of the tent and maybe a day or two later, she came out or you maybe you heard screaming and there was blood and crying and then there was a new brother a new sister and then when your grandparents got old uh, there wasn't a hospital or a nursing home they probably laid down in the corner of the tent and started breathing more laboriously and slowly and then probably taking their last breath so in our culture we are sort of distanced from the entrances and exits that are a part of life but imagine in the ancient world you probably saw siblings being born and relatives dying right in close proximity. And so when I talk about a cyclical view of history, because of this proximity to living and dying, because of this awareness that you're here, your parents were here, their parents were here, and their parents' parents were here, and you're going to have your kids, they're going to be here, and then they're going to have kids that are here, people had a dominant consciousness of cycles, Everything that has happened will happen again. Everything that's happening right now has already happened. The things that are happening now will happen again. The things that are about to happen have already happened. Picture like a great cycle of life. What will happen will happen again. Your life has already been set for you. There's already a groove that you are in, and you're in this part, and then you'll go to the next part, then you'll go to the next part, then you'll come back around and do this part again. But in this ancient text, Abram is told, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Now, here's why this is amazing. This is a brand new idea in human history. What? No one ever did that. Abraham is told, Abraham, leave and make a new future, one that hasn't existed until now. Essentially, Abram, I'm inviting you to step off the cycle into the unknown. This was a brand new idea in human history. Now, what's so interesting about this, and you can read scholars who can obviously articulate this much better than I can, but sometimes an idea to us is how we see the world, but there was a moment in history when it was actually a brand new idea. But some ideas catch on and they become so normal that we lose the awareness that at one point this was a brand new idea. 
So when you read this and it says, Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, essentially Abram was being invited to do something that hadn't been done. It was a whole new way of thinking about what it means to be human. And then there's this line, the response to this invitation Abram has given, the line in the scriptures in English, it reads, so Abram left. So Abram left. It's just three words, and yet, in some ways, it's like a dawning of a new kind of human consciousness. You, you can leave the known. You can get off the wheel. You can get off the cycle. And you can actually step into a future that hasn't already been decided. You can do something, not something that has happened before, like everything has happened before, but you can do something that hasn't happened ever before. I mean, it's an idea. It's so radical. It's one, it's one more example of how the scriptures is a library of progressive books that keep showing us what it looks like when people stumble into whole new awarenesses and awakenings. Uh, side note, by the way, when you read the Bible, sometimes people say, well, why did God do it that way? God, why did God set it up? Bad question. You're n never really going to get very good answers if you don't ask very good questions. Much better question. Why did people write this story down? Why did people find this scripture meaningful, helpful, or inspiring? The reason why people told this story is because it was a dawning of a new era and how people thought about what it means to be human. It's now so taken for granted that we miss it. And yet, the reason why I'm talking about it to you today in 2015 is I think there are actually elements of this idea that are still new, even though in many ways they're really ancient. So I want to talk about the power of place. And I want to, be, want to begin simply with the idea, you have way more power than you realize to shape your life. You can set up roots and settle in a place. You can pick up, pack up, and leave. You can shape your life. And then when, when it says, so Abram left, this is a radical new idea in human history that you can own your life, you can step into the own, and you can create something that hasn't existed before. Now, a, a bit about my family. Uh, my mom is from California. She was born in Southern California. She met my dad, who was from Michigan. They settled in Michigan, where I grew up. Where I grew up. But then when I was growing up, about every other Christmas, we would go back to Southern California. We would go back to Los Angeles. And uh, I remember one, I think it was the winter of either 77 or 79. I was either seven or nine. We would go to visit my grandma, my mom's mom, and my mom's dad. And one time we took them a new Chevy, a pea green color, this amazing faded pea green color Impala. Anybody, ever, are, we, are you with me, car people? Think of a 79 Chevrolet Impala in pea green. That car, seriously, and we drove that car from Michigan, where cars used to be made, <laughs> to California. And then we drove my grandma's back to Michigan on the way home. So I think from Michigan, if we had two weeks off of school, and it was, what, five days of driving, we were probably there for a couple of days. But I literally have memories of being five, seven, nine and being in California and feeling a connection, like a connection with the soil. I remember distinctly um, our Arcadia Avenue, the grass and how it was different than Michigan grass. 
and the cracks in the pavement and the eucalyptus trees and how the air was more dry and the sun shone differently and feeling, I mean, I have visceral memories of seven years old and feeling a connection with California. Like in some ways I was from there, which obviously my mom was from there and I've been raised with great fondness for there. So I sort of grew up with Southern California and Los Angeles in my bones. When I was, what, 13, I would uh, go to the Meridian Mall in Okemos, Michigan, in the very heart of Michigan, where I was from. And I would go to Community News Center at the mall, which was like the bookstore there, um, newsstand. And in the back corner, they had copies of Surfer Magazine. And I would open up Surfer Magazine. And I would, it was like piercing a mystical veil into another realm, these pictures, uh, pictures of Jeff Booth, Martin Potter, uh, these surfers who had, were like legendary. And I would study these pictures like, oh, most of this happens in California. I mean, it was like deep in my bones. And then when I finished uh, college, when I was 21 in the outside of Chicago, I uh, packed up my pickup truck. I had this uh, little old pickup truck, and I packed up all my belongings, and I moved to California to go to a seminary. And I remember driving from Arizona across the border into California. I think I knew two people in California. And I remember crossing the border and feeling like I am alive. And at some strange level, like I'm coming home. Like this, is, this was all part of my path. And uh, then Kristen was doing a master's degree at USC, and so we got together in California, and we got married, and uh, we assumed that we would settle in California because that's where our friends were, that's where our life was. And um, when I got out of seminary, the way that it works, at least at the world, uh, the seminary sort of pastor world I was in at the time is you work with high school students, then you work with college students, then you work with like young adults, and then you work like as an assistant pastor. It's sort of like basically you're the pastor of people about four years younger than you all the way up. And then eventually maybe you get to like talk to everybody. You know what I mean? It was almost like there was this sort of assumed wisdom about how it works. But the problem for me is that I, honestly, from early on, I just wanted to talk to everybody. I was like driven to reclaim the sermon as this lost art form. And the thought of planning all-nighters and volleyball tournaments and all the stuff that sort of youth pastors do, which is awesome, more power to you. If you're in that game, oh my goodness, mad props and respect to you. But I just knew that wasn't my path. Um, and yet I didn't really know how to do it. And then I got an offer at the end of seminary from a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, if you've ever heard of it. I got an offer from... Um, a legendary preacher named Ed Dobson, who um, I just had huge respect for. And he basically said, how about you come here and, and kind of like be my wingman and I'll teach you what I know and you can preach to people of all ages. You can just go for it. And it was like one of those opportunities where it was like, really, are you kidding me? Um, and I remember I got the phone call and I put the phone down and I had like tears in my eyes and I was like, Oh my word, I got the most amazing opportunity in, Cal in Michigan. And Kristen, I think, had tears in her <laughs> eyes as well. Like, really, Michigan? But um, we just knew that this was too good of an opportunity to pass up. So we packed up our Honda Civic, and we 
drove across the country to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Neither of us had ever lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan. My parents had moved there while I was in school, so I had visited them, but it was new to us. It was the unknown. We left the Los Angeles area and what was known and familiar to us at that point, and we went across the country to a whole new life, which was fantastic. And we learned all kinds of things and made lifelong friendships. And then in 2011, when some of the people who we love the most, who uh, especially some of the people who helped lead our church, Mars Hill, that we had started, were just saying, what do you want to do next? Like, what are you dreaming about? What, what do you see as the next steps? And the more we thought about it and the more we sort of reflected on where our lives were and what we should do next, it was like, oh, we, we need to go to Los Angeles and take the next step and the next risk and do the next thing that we're here to do. So we loaded everything up and in 2011 we drove across the country and I will never forget driving through Arizona back across the California border like, oh, this is it. We are alive. Here we are. I've been here before. I've done this before. Now I tell you all this because LA was the future, the unknown that I went to when I was 21. And then Grand Rapids was the unknown we went to. It was the flying leap that we took when we were 24. And then Los Angeles was the unknown and the flying leap we took when we were 41. Uh, Grand Rapids was the unknown we went to, and then a number of years later, it was the known that we left. And so a place, the same place, can be a very different place to you at different moments in your life. Perhaps you've experienced before, the same place can be a prison or a promised land. It can be a, like a launching pad to a whole new future, and it can also be the place that you land in as a whole new future. Your life is an endless process of becoming. You are changing and becoming, and because everything is changing and becoming. And what happens if we freeze a particular place, if we give it an absolute value, is we're missing out on different places mean different things to us at different stages of the journey. Uh, my therapist that I've gone to for years, the, 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 the great Dr. Beagley, he would always say to me, for a reason, for a season. Because what would happen is something would be changing. It may have worked for a while, but then it wasn't. It may have been incredibly beneficial, but then all of a sudden things shift and it's no longer what it used to be. And I would have this guilt, like I should prop it up. Should I preserve it? I feel like I have some loyalty to this thing and yet it's no longer what it used to be. And he'd always just say to me, Rob, it existed for a reason, for a season. And the thing about seasons is they come and then they go. And so you are becoming because everything is in the process of becoming. Some things can only happen if you stay and you have roots and you have the background and you have the history. Some things can only happen if you've been there long enough that the years build up and then you push through into these extraordinary new things. The number of times in Grand Rapids things happened that could, I would think this could only happen because I have eight years with this person or this could only happen because we have 
We have 10 years of history with this. But then some other things can only happen if you go and you leave and you start somewhere else. Roots are incredibly powerful, but so is a clean start and a fresh slate. And if you attribute too much value to either one as one being way better than the other, in an absolute sense, you miss the fact that the same place could be a prison or a promised land in your life. It doesn't, the best way is to think about your life as an endless process of becoming. And sometimes the same place may serve very different roles. Your path is your path. And to wonder why somebody else doesn't have your path, it isn't helpful. So you can glean wisdom and truth from others, you, but one place, it might be yours and not theirs. And one place might be theirs and not yours. Some people stay too long, and sometimes people don't stay long enough. It's amazing uh, how many times, there are certain questions that I hear everywhere I go, and one of the questions people often ask is, often ask is, uh, should they stay or should they go? Classic uh, clash uh, question. <laughs> Oftentimes people are in a place, they're in an institution, they're in a faith community, they're in a school, they're in a neighborhood, they're in a city, and they have this sense like, should I stay or, or should I go? Should I, should I step out and start over from scratch or I'm gonna miss out on something if I would just stay here? Uh, in my experience, you have to ask which vision of the, of the future most fills you with life. Uh, and sometimes it's staying right here and giving all the energies that you would have given to transitioning and moving and all that comes with that to making something of your life where you are. Other times it's like, no, we gotta go. Um, and I, would, I always notice that when it's time to go, you, you're given just enough shape and form to take the next step but you're not given enough detail and guarantee to eliminate the risk and leap. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you get just enough direction and light and guidance that you can figure out what the one step is. But if you had more, if you had too much detail or too many guarantees, that would take all the terror and fun out of it in equal measure. Uh, I decided when I was in my 20s, and I'm, I think Kristen would probably say the same thing, we decided that we would not live our lives wondering what if. We decided that if there was a what if that was loud enough, then, then maybe that was, uh, that was a sign. Elizabeth Gilbert and I have talked about how calling is probably overrated and curiosity is underrated. So when people ask, what should I do with my life? Where should I go? What are you curious about? What vision of life fills you with a sense of, expectancy that would get you out of bed in the morning what is it that your curiosity is like Ooh, now now i would i could give myself to to, to seeing what that's like um i've talked i think uh last week's robcast about i wanted to reclaim the sermon as this long lost art form i wanted to explore and see how far i could take this idea of creating space where people could hear what they needed to hear uh, and that's been an, an extraordinarily interesting and compelling and joyful life for me because I was like, what would that be like? I'm going to try that. So I decided that I would not live my life wondering what if. And sometimes I meet people who have been wondering what if about a different path for years and years and years. And sometimes I just wonder if they're missing out. Um, so here's the spiritual truth that I've picked up 
for weeks and weeks on the road. The power is when you be where you're from. Be where you're from. Some people are proud of where they're from, and, and some people aren't. Some people feel rooted and grounded, and they love the place they're in, and some people don't. So here's the thing. Own it, the place that you're from. Own it. Enjoy it. Make peace with it. Make it your own. I love how LeBron James always says Akron. Akron's home. Akron's the center of the world. He has that new thing straight out of Akron. This is like one of the greatest athletes the world has ever seen. And when he's interviewed about all of his bigness and largest, he always wants you to know Akron, baby. Akron, straight out of Akron. Wherever you're from, if you're from a tiny little nowhere backwards town out in the middle of nowhere, own that thing. Say, I'm from a tiny little funky, quirky, weird town with one stoplight. Own that thing. Don't have shame or humiliation or guilt or don't, no way. When somebody owns where they're from, it's awesome. I'm so inspired when someone says, I'm from a place in the middle of nowhere and we have one 7-Eleven and no one ever comes here and there's wide open spaces and that's where I'm from and I love it. Oh, so, so moving and inspiring. If you're from somewhere, be where you're from. Own it and enjoy it and make peace with it and be proud of it. Or change it. Just change it. Just be one of those people who decides you're gonna make it better. You're gonna make changes yourself or you're somehow gonna make it better. It's interesting. When we toured, when I first started touring 10 years ago and you'd go to a different city every day, we in the morning we wake up, okay, where do we eat? Let's explore this town. Let's see where we're at. And what's interesting is how many cities 10 years ago, people would be like, there, there isn't any, any place around here. <laughs> like we have a McDonald's. And it's so fascinating on this tour, how many of those same cities People will be like, oh my goodness, there's like nine amazing farm-to-table restaurants. There's this little shop so-and-so have. There's this art gallery here. Someone built a park in this abandoned lot over here. It's amazing to me how many cities people are owning and changing and how many places, even in the past couple of days, I've been walking around a town and there's signs like, this is coming. This is about to be built. The funds were just raised to do this. It's extraordinary. Do you know Tulsa has an arts district with like legit artists? You know, Boise has this, uh, like, downtown that you can walk in. There's, like, a river that runs through the town. Um, and they have amazing potatoes, which I guess we all knew, but they actually do. Um, like, towns, now there's this extraordinary movement, like this Americana movement of people going, let's make our place great. Let's change it. So where you're from, own it and enjoy it and make peace with it. Or change it. Like, be one of the people who just says, let's make this better. Or leave. Leave. Why spend your life feeling like you're not in the right place? People leave all the time. I mean, I assume you know this. But people leave all the time. They literally say, we would like to go or I want to see what life is like in this place. And then they go somewhere. They go to school, they find a job, they live really simply so they aren't burdened by debt and bills and they move into a smaller place and some interesting place they've always dreamed of living in. Try it, you could always leave after a year. Like your life is an adventure. Own it, enjoy it, make peace with where you are or change it or leave your country, your people and your father's household 
and go somewhere new. But wherever you are, be where you're from. And one of the things I've picked up again and again and again is how you relate to where you are either creates extraordinary, positive, overflowing, joyous energy in your life and those around you, or it creates a negative, toxic energy that brings you and others down. When people are constantly slamming where they're from, my, my town sucks, there's nothing to do here. It's a terrible use of energy. You are this walking miracle. You were put, by the way, I say mar miracle. <laughs> You're a miracle? How do I even say that without sounding like I'm, I don't know, from somewhere else? Um, you are this wondrous, extraordinary, epiphenomenon of life. You're only here for a few years. Why live your life despising where you're from? Why live your life wishing you were somewhere else? And if you have factors that keep you where you are that you absolutely cannot leave, family members who are ill, whatever it is that you have that's like, then own it and enjoy it and make peace with it or change it. But you at odds with where you are at isn't good for you. It isn't good for the people around you. And it isn't good for all of us because we are all way more connected than any of us realized. You have way more power than you realize to shape your life. So here's the really interesting thing to me. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to a new place. See, this was a radical brand new idea thousands of years ago that you could step outside of the cycles, that you could step outside of doing everything that had already been done before. But I wonder if for many people, that question, can you actually step out of the cycle and step into the unknown and create something that hasn't happened before? What I keep meeting are people in 2015 who thousands of years later are still living with a cyclical view of things. Is there any way in which you are trapped in a cycle of that's happened and then this will happen and then the next thing will happen and then the next thing will happen and nothing new is going to happen that hasn't already been before. And the power of this story is the insistence that you can act you can move, you can settle, you can create, you can put down roots, or you can pack up and move across the country. You can build a life in a community with real relationships and friends and business and education and art and parties and rituals, and you can journey with a group of people the whole distance. You can also set out and wander and you can move to one place, and then you can move to the next, and you can go to a place you've always dreamed of being in, and you can go see what it's like there. The issue is do not apply absolute values to all this. Just let your path be your path and other people's path be their path. Are there any ways in which you are trapped in cycles? You are bitter and resentful of the place you're at. If you make degrading jokes and sort of that sarcasm that you think is funny about where you're from, it's not funny, it's not interesting, it's not helpful. I mean, maybe there's some jokes here and there that are funny, but a lot of it, um, don't work your issues out like that. Own it, enjoy it, make peace with it. All the negatives, just own them. 
If you live in a weird place, you live in a weird place. If you live in a place with lots of people with some crazy beliefs, then just own it. But don't let their weirdness rob you of your joy. Own it, enjoy it, make peace with it, or change it, or leave and go somewhere new and unknown because you have way more power than you realize to shape your life. May you embrace that power. May you pursue your path, not the path of the person to your left, not the path of the person to your right. May you withhold judgment on those around you because the same place may be a very different place for you than it is for them. Let it be whatever it is for them. But wherever you are, may you be where you're from. And may grace and peace be with you.